everybody. Mike Griffith here. Welcome to a special Friday night presentation of Ingles on the Beat. Really excited tonight. Second half of the show, interview with Sam Pittman. I know you've enjoyed those shows on Monday nights where we've had an opportunity to talk to South Carolina head coach Shane Beamer, Michigan State head coach Mel Tucker, and now Arkansas head coach Sam Pittman. And what do they all have in common? They were all a part of Kirby Smart's original 2016 as well as 2017 staff when the Bulldogs made that run for a national title. Won the SEC championship that year, reached number one in the rankings. And, of course, Coach Pittman with some great insight. Can't wait to get to that. Second half of the show. First half of the show, want to catch up on a lot of things. Obviously, a lot of spring sports going on. You got baseball rolling. You got women's basketball in the SEC Women's Basketball Tournament. Men's basketball plays the best team in the league tomorrow at, at, uh, at the Stag. They got Alabama coming in. The SEC Conference Office uh, assigned them Alabama. It's like, well, Texas A&M was a team you were supposed to play. Certainly a game you probably win. But instead, A&M has canceled so many games can't make them all up. So we're going to sign Alabama to Georgia. And first year AD, Josh Brooks sitting up there. Uh, I guess so. I'm the new guy, right? We'll just stick young guy Josh Brooks with his team. So kind of interesting SEC office still kind of having their way with Georgia. Uh, you know, looking to um, earlier this week, it was pretty cool. We get a message that, hey, you know, Kirby might just decide to have a press conference. You're going, wow. You know, spring football doesn't even start until March 16th. We just had Eric Stokes on Monday night uh, to talk about the upcoming combine, uh, you know, the pro day coming up on March 17th. So we're still thinking we're a couple weeks away from the start of spring. Well, Kirby decides, you know what, let's talk some Georgia football. Let's let the fans know what we're thinking, what we think is going on. And not only did Kirby appear, but three assistant coaches as well. We had Matt Luke, the assistant head coach or associate head coach, if you will, offensive line coach. We had Del McGee, the run game coordinator. And we had Cortez Hankton, the pass game coordinator, receivers coach and running backs coach. So a lot of insight there. I'm going to kind of give you a thought on each guy and what they had to say. But first off, I want to come away with my biggest takeaway of the week. And to me, this isn't rocket scientist, but, but thinking it and, and feeling it is different than actually hearing it. And Kirby Smart says the offense is ahead of the defense. Now you might say, well, that's not such a big revelation. Well, it is when you consider that Kirby's first five teams, the defense always ranked ahead of the offense. Went back to 2016. The defense was number 16. The offense was number 87. 2017, that title run we talked about, defense number six, offense number 32. And 2018, 13 total defense, 18 total offense. 2019, third total defense, 61st total offense, and then 2020, last season, number 12 in the nation in total defense, and number 41 in total offense. So this is a little bit different for Kirby Smart uh, to have an offense that's this far ahead of the defense. And when I say offense, well, let's just really what we're talking about is JT Daniels. JT Daniels, and, and Bill Connolly did a story on, on ESPN's pay site uh, the other day where he ran some metrics from the games beyond uh, November 20th, basically when JT Daniels started onward, there was only two quarterbacks in the country that had a better passer rating. One of them was Mac Jones and the other one was that BYU quarterback you're hearing so much about. No one else in the country had a better passer rating than JT Daniels once he went in the lineup for Georgia. That includes guys like Justin Fields, but also returning quarterbacks like Matt Corral at Old Miss and Sam Howell at North Carolina, 
Jaden Daniels at Arizona State. So JT Daniels comes into the 2021 season the hottest returning quarterback in college football. And I don't think it's a stretch because he brings back all of his top flight receivers. George Pickens is back. Jermaine Burton is back. Hoping that Dominic Blaylock, who wasn't even there last year, you might even add him to the mix. In addition to Arian Smith, that speedster, and then some tight ends. Darnell Washington, nice big target with good hands. Uh, so a lot to be excited about if you're a Georgia football fan based on those metrics that tell you, hey, JT Daniels, he's the real deal. And he had a five-star rating. He was the number three rated quarterback in his class behind Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. And that's after he reclassified. Remember, JT skipped his senior year of high school to go right to college. So just imagine, had he waited another year to come out, he would have been the number one quarterback in the country. And now Georgia is the benefactor of that. We're going to find out right away about Georgia next season because they open the year on September 4th against Clemson and Charlotte, North Carolina. A much-anticipated matchup. A lot of people are already calling it game of the year, right? Two top five teams, maybe even two top three teams. We'll have to see how those preseason rankings shake out. Wrote earlier this week, Phil Steele projects Georgia to be number three in the preseason. Do you know that this is the highest rated stretch for Georgia in preseason polls in the history of the program? They've been preseason top three the last couple of years, too. Yeah, this is nothing new to the Bulldogs. Anybody that's been on this Georgia team right now, 2018, 2019, 2020, they're used to being a preseason top five. That's never happened in Georgia history. So when we talk about managing expectations, something that Kirby Smart's trying to do, no other coach before him has had to do that to this extent, right? And, and I would argue it's amped up even more because of social media because everybody's got an opinion, because there's a million fan blogs out there, because there's so many channels on television. Kirby Smart can't turn around without hearing that he's got to win a national title at Georgia. Never mind that took Dabble Sweeney seven years and Nick Saban nine. They want it from Kirby Smart now in year six. I think the biggest mistake, and I wouldn't call it a mistake, but I think the toughest part is that Kirby Smart was so far ahead of schedule getting in that national championship game his second season. And we all know, how fluky it was to lose on the second and 26. The numbers say second and 26, that's not a high percentage down. You got to give two a credit and you got to blame Georgia for not being assignment sound. That was a Kirby Smart secondary. Um, didn't play that like they were supposed to play it. Got looked off on the play. And Devontae Smith turned out to be a pretty good player, by the way. And so did Tua. So it wasn't just a couple of young guys and a couple of backups. There were a couple of very special players that made one more play than Georgia did in 2017. So How's Georgia going to get it done this year? Well, they start out against the Clemson team that on paper, they should be. You said, well, why do you mean they should be? Well, you know, JT Daniels, you know, he beat DJ uh, U, uh, what, two, three times in high school. I mean, this is a guy he beat in Southern California that played at his rival high school. Now he's going to be across the field at Clemson. Clemson lost Trevor Lawrence. Talk about a vacuum. I can't remember what. Uh, maybe Tennessee losing Peyton Manning, maybe LSU losing Joe Burrow. Uh, this is a big, big uh, player that, that Clemson is going to have to replace, not just from a skill set standpoint and what he does at quarterback, but from a leadership standpoint. Now, Dan Bo Sweeney has said this is the most experienced Clemson team that he's had since that 2018 team won the national title. So this is going to be a salty group. This is going to be a very good defensive front. Georgia's going to be challenged to run the ball. So it's going to be very interesting. But you look at the recruiting rankings, 
you go, well, Georgia should win. I mean, 2016, recruiting ranking, Georgia 6, Clemson 11. 2017, Georgia 3, Clemson 16. 2018, Georgia 1, Clemson 7. 2019, Georgia 2, Clemson 10. 2020, Georgia 1, Clemson 3. 2021, Georgia 4, Clemson 5. They've out-recruited Clemson every year. So why has Clemson been going to the national championship game twice? Why has Clemson been able to go 2-2 two and two against Alabama? Right. And that's where it kind of boils in and the walls start closing in on Kirby Smart. They say, well, Devil Sweeney's doing it. Now, on the one hand, winning six straight ACC titles, nothing to sneeze at. But if we're being honest about this, the ACC is a lot easier to navigate than the SEC to the point where one of the players said last week, you know, it's just normal. It's just normal to win the ACC. The real expectation is the playoff. You know, that, that's where Clemson's at with us. Like, oh, yeah, ho-hum. And oh, by the way, these outgoing Clemson seniors have a chance to have six, six championship title rings because they get this extra year of eligibility. So think about that. Fifth-year guy comes back for a six-year, not four championship rings, not five, six championship rings per guy. Now, each, each of the assistant coaches that spoke, they all kind of had a little different presentation. Um, you know, Cortez Hankton has been very involved in the community and in the, in the Dogs for Pups, where the Georgia players have raised money and gotten jackets and helped with Christmas presents and, and helped attain wireless. Uh, I, I know I contributed to that wireless fund. You know, such a great idea for the Athens community. Uh, Got to do what you can. You know, Georgia plays so few home games relative to other schools, only three last year. That has such a big impact on the community. The community makes so much money off of those games. And with Georgia giving all these games away to neutral sites in Florida, uh, it, it really costs George the, the infrastructure, the community. So it's nice to see that Josh Brooks recognizes uh, that, that the Athens community not as well off as some of the other college communities uh, with, with George's decision to play so many games away from home. Uh, Hankton's been instrumental in that. What he said about the football team, well, he talked about George Pickens a little bit. And he said it's one of continued growth and maturity and that George has embraced it. He said, when you look at the entire team, you talk about altruism. He said, I think there's this aura of selflessness and a positive vibe, which has really continued to grow. Um, Hankton says it's shined brighter and that for George, he's embraced it. So he's looking forward to George moving forward. Uh, George, the best thing ever happened to George is, is JT Daniels. Good relationship, a guy that's working with him a lot. I said it on cover four the other night. I think George will approach 100 catches. I didn't say he'd get 100 catches. I said he would approach it, meaning that I think there is um, an opportunity to get closer to that number than we've seen uh, in Georgia history. So it'll be interesting to see. It's going to be 80, 85, probably somewhere in that ballpark, approaching 100. Remember, 15-game season if you go to the college football playoffs, and that's what I'm banking on. Right now, if you ask me, I think Georgia's going to be in the college football playoffs. Another receiver that Cortez Hankton talked about is Arian Smith. Now, Arian is the fastest guy on the team. There's no doubt about it. I've heard some people get a little carried away, though. Uh, you got to get him involved. we got to get a lot of people involved, right? James Cook, you got to have involved. Kenny McIntosh has got to be involved. Kendall Milton, Zamir White, Jermaine Burton, George Pickens, Darnell Washington. A lot of people to be involved. Aaron Smith still got to learn to run routes a little bit better. He's got to learn how to beat press coverage. There's more to it than just being fast. Now, I do think Arian's going to play a big role. I wouldn't be surprised if he averaged more than 20 yards to catch. And certainly just his presence will enable uh, guys like Pickens and Burton and Kiers Jackson to get open because you've got to respect the speed. When you got a guy like Arian Smith out there, that safety got to help because if he gets behind you, JT will put it on him. 
So that's pretty exciting things there. George Pickens, Arian Smith, a couple of players at receiver we're talking about. Uh, Del McGee had an interesting message. Uh, said he wants to be a head coach. I said, geez, I was just looking forward to this season. But Dell wants to be a head coach. Um, you know, it's interesting because when we had Shane Beamer on, he left Georgia to go to Oklahoma uh, because he thought that would help him get closer to being a head coach. And it makes you wonder if Dell's going to have to leave Georgia uh, to be a head coach or if he can elevate from his current position into a head coaching role. I know that Tennessee interviewed Clemson offensive coordinator Tony Elliott. He turned the job down. Uh, I know Mel Tucker had interviewed at Tennessee the previous time. So I'm, I'm seeing a little bit of, of uh, movement in that area. I think that's healthy. I just don't know if Dell can elevate from running backs coach to head coach in SEC level. May need to take a, a lower ranking job. Um, but again, that, that was that conversation was an interesting one when Dell was talking about being a head coach and, and things like that, because clearly Georgia, uh, a lot of focus on this season right now. Now, Dell did say that seniority this year will not play a role in who's at running back. I think last year, most people saw they deferred to Zamir White quite often. Um, a lot of that had to do with no spring, right? Zamir was a guy you could trust with a playbook. Uh, and pass protection to be at the right place and, and things. And so I think that's why, you know, the ball security, I think that's why they trusted Zamir White. But we also saw those flashes from Kendall Milton where he looked absolutely dominant. Dare I say Chubb-like. Uh, the metrics said that Kenny McIntosh was the most effective and best running back. James Cook, certainly the most explosive and, and a great pass catching threat. And then Dejon Edwards, when he got in there, he showed you that he could tote the rock. So a lot of competition in that Georgia backfield. And McGee said it's going to be decided on the field. Not going to defer to the seniority. Guys are going to have to win it in practice this year. Uh, so that was interesting. Matt Luke on the offensive line, we know there's a shuffle coming up. Didn't look real good against Cincinnati. Now, hey, part of that is that Cincinnati was pretty salty. Cincinnati was a pretty good football team. A lot of people aren't giving Cincinnati credit. But I'm going to tell you, that was a good football team. That was a legit top 10 team that Georgia played. And they were playing for a place in history. They had a chance to go undefeated and claim that uh, unofficial national title, much like Central Florida did. So they were playing an inspired, loaded team that day. And they were shorthanded, right? Ben Cleveland didn't play in that game. Um, and, uh, and so that, that had a little bit to do, I think, with Cincinnati's success. They were a good team, and Georgia was shorthanded. That's a tough combination uh, that Georgia had to overcome. So we're going to find out what's going to happen uh, this time around with the offensive line. The three names that Matt Luke kept bringing up, Warren Erickson, Justin Schaefer, Jamari Salyer, kept talking. Three times he mentioned those guys. And because they're flexible, they can move around. And so the objective is going to be to get the best five guys on the field. Everybody at Georgia's got to learn to play two positions. That's one of the things about their offensive line specifically. Now, we don't know who's at left tackle yet. Is it going to be Broderick Jones? Is it going to be Xavier Truss? Is it going to be Amaris Mims? Now, Mims coming off that, that labrum surgery. Remember, it's hard to win a job in that offensive line when you don't go through spring. Kirby told us that a couple years ago. Could someone like Tate Ratledge slip in the lineup somewhere? Clay Webb was a five-star. I think it's year three. Is he going to get on the field? So there's a lot of questions. Cedric Von Prahn, a guy, Jeff Santel, said he was very high on Thursday night's cover four show. So there's a lot of talent in that offensive line room and a lot of competition. Stay tuned to that. That is going to be fascinating. Now, Sam Pittman, we're going to go to this interview in just a minute. I want to reflect back on 2019, the end of the year, which um, – Man, it was, it was a tough year. And yet and still, 
that 2019 team, when you go back and look at, at Georgia's history, where they were ranked in the preseason and where they finished, that 2019 team finished off pretty good. As much as it struggled and as ugly as that year looked, that win over Baylor was awful good. But the loss to LSU sure was tough. I mean, you think about what Jake Fromm had to deal with that day. There was no Lawrence Cager on the field. Dominic Blaylock was injured in the first quarter. Um, Tyler Simmons dropped a touchdown pass on the first play of the game. DeAndre Swift couldn't really play. Gotten injured against Georgia Tech. Uh, George Pickens was suspended for the first half. It was a tough night in Atlanta for Georgia in their last SEC championship game appearance against LSU. And just when you thought things couldn't get worse, Sam Pittman gets hired away the next day for, officially, and you're going, wow, wait a minute. They're losing Sam Pittman. Who in the world can replace a guy like Sam Pittman? Uh, you know, you want to talk about charismatic and magnetic, um, glue guy, team builder, popular in the clubhouse, tremendous recruiter, difference maker. Sam Pittman, he was all of that. He is all of that now as Arkansas's head coach. But what a huge void for Kirby Smart to have to replace the year before, he had to replace Tucker and his Cheney, both of his coordinators. Now he had to replace Sam Pittman, who was arguably the most valuable assistant coach on his staff. Um, Sam told us the story, and it couldn't have gone any smoother from the perspective of him transitioning to another SEC school. Fascinating how respectful Sam was of Georgia, and fascinating also how he continues to feel about the Georgia football program. There's a lot of love and respect there. You know what? A lot of love and respect from me and from you, our sponsor, Ingalls. You think about everything Ingalls did for us during this difficult times crisis. We're all in crisis mode. We all have needs, things we've got to go. You got to get to the grocery store. You got to have these things to feed your family, supply your family, run your household. Somebody's got to be open. Somebody's got to work the register. Somebody's got to stock the shelves, cut the meat. It was Ingalls. Ingalls was there for you during this crisis. They stayed with us through the pandemic. means so much. I want to take a moment to thank Ingalls during this break. And we come back, Sam Pittman. You're going to love it, folks. Enjoy. It's in our hearts to feel for you. There's been ups and downs, turnarounds, there's good days and some bad. We stand together for worse and for better. We'll always have your back. With open arms, heart to heart, hand in hand. Community strong. Well, now joined by Sam Pittman, former Georgia assistant coach, Arkansas head coach, Sam Pittman. And uh, if, if Georgia fans didn't take note, they sure did this year in uh, Fayetteville, Coach. I mean, I, that game started out and everybody was going, whoa, whoa. I mean, that was some energy in Fayetteville this season. I guess I'll just ask you, when you put 2020 behind you, what are going to be some of your memories as your first year as a head coach at Arkansas? Oh, it's so much fun. The kids would be, you know, the, the way they worked and the way they accepted us and Certainly, I was so fortunate to hire a great football staff, a great group of guys, and I've, I've really enjoyed uh, uh, the, the the coaching staff. And certainly, the players have given us everything we've asked, and and uh, got a few wins. You know that 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 helps. Uh, but uh, just the opening there uh, when we played Georgia. 
sort didn't have any idea we were going to play Georgia the first game, you know, when I left. And uh, but uh, it was an honor to play the University of Georgia, and really an honor to see the coaches at, from Georgia and the players. And they were so kind to me after the game, and and those things. I enjoyed that. What a first year to jump in as a head coach, though. I mean, as if there weren't going to be some challenges as a first-year coach anywhere, much less a first-time head coach. How were you able to manage that as effectively as you did? And one of the things you said that that I know we talked a lot about on the SEC Network and Feinbaum was Sam Pittman says he's going to play every game. He's got enough guys he's going to play. Some teams didn't do that. Can you talk about how you adjusted to the pandemic and also your mentality of making sure the Hogs were on the field every week? Well, we talked to each one of our players about how important they were to the football team. You know, some guys have different roles than others, but on any given Saturday after your Thursday test, that role might be from scout team to first team. And uh, I couldn't see not playing. I didn't, first of all, I didn't think we could get any better if we didn't play. We didn't have spring ball, and, and I, I believe that you can get significantly better on a Saturday. You certainly can during practice, but I think Saturdays you can tell a lot, a lot of difference in your players. And so we we needed to play. We want our kids wanted to play, and we really didn't care who it was. We we wanted to play. You know, when we got dealt Georgia and Florida on the east side, certainly uh, that that's not a Christmas gift, you know, but um, uh, we embraced it, uh, embraced it as a great opportunity. And, uh, you know, our guys wanted to play. They did a great job with with COVID, uh, uh, stayed uh, COVID free for the most part. And we had to we did have to postpone our Missouri game late in the season, but uh, certainly got to make it up the next week. Yeah, no doubt about it. You know, it's been great football for Arkansas, you know, and it, and it was tough. There was a lot of adversity, and you talk, you hear coaches all the time talk about growing from adversity, whether it was, you know, the schedule right out of the gate or, or maybe a, a call. I mean, how do you manage that when – because it happens in it, – it's going to happen. It's going to happen in football. There's going to go calls against you. But for your guys to stay, to stay resilient, to not get down after the Auburn, I mean, what do you tell them as a head coach when there's – situations like that, that obvious adversity to overcome? I think the the proudest I was uh, to be a head coach and in our staff and our players was if you start the season, we, we played a good first half against uh, Georgia. We come back the next week and we beat Mississippi State, who had just beaten uh, LSU. Well, a lot of times you can – your team can get full of themselves, you know. Well, then the next week we go to Auburn. And we we played a, a, a fine football team and a fine game and 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 had the the controversial call there to end. Well, we never said a word to our players about it, not one. Never talked to them about it because we had Ole Miss the next week. So we'd just come off our first SEC win against Mississippi State in three years. We played a good a good game against Auburn. That happened. Then we went out and beat Ole Miss the next week. Then after that, we played Texas A&M, and we played well. I mean, they, they, they've got a really good football team. And then we, we come back home and beat Tennessee. And then after that, I got the COVID. And I, I, don't, I don't know if that hurt us or not, but we didn't, we know we didn't win another game. We lost the – and part of that depends on who you're playing as well. You know, we in that stretch, we played LSU and Florida and, and, um, 
in uh, Alabama, you know, we, we, or excuse me, yeah, LSU, Florida, Alabama, and Missouri. So we played some really good teams. We weren't able to win again. But I, I was really pleased with the way – we didn't say a word about it to answer your question about the Auburn game. We just uh, – we did the good, bad, and ugly like Kirby does there at, at Georgia and, and moved on. You know, I've got to think that like any other position in life, you kind of learn as you go. What were some of the things that maybe you picked up on as you went along? Again, it's not your first rodeo. You've been a football coach for a long time. In some ways, was it actually doing less with the, you know, up to your elbows in coaching because you had to be more of, I don't want to say an administrator, but you had to delegate, you had to oversee. I mean, what was that process like to be, to go from being a guy in the trenches literally up to your elbows in football coaching every day to now you've got to oversee an entire staff. Yeah, the, the delegating was very easy for me because I, I believe like most coaches, you hire good people and you let them go to work and let them do their thing. But it was the problems, you know, you're, you're, a, you're a problem solver all the time. You know, uh, right before this interview, there's a couple of problems that had to be solved, you know, and a problem is only a problem until you solve it. And then it's not anymore. And so we try to get them solved as fast as we can. But that was the biggest thing. And then I'll be honest with you, just dealing with the uh, officials, you know, the pregame, they come in and talk to you. Uh, are, are we going to throw the flag, you know, uh, here? Are they going to give us enough time to see if the guy was out of bounds or not? All these type things that I had, you know, I took for granted because I wasn't doing it. That was the biggest uh, change for me actually being the guy they're going to ask all these questions and I, I was comfortable with it I just didn't know how that would play out game in and game out and and uh, I got more comfortable as the season went on you know one thing I've always wondered I've covered college ball a lot a long time a lot of different schools a lot of different places all the coaches have their dis different personalities but the ones that I think the fancy is on sideline on game day yeah and you always wonder you know, is he does he play good guy or bad guy? I mean, did you have an idea? Are you going to be lovable, Sam, to the officials? Or are you going to be that guy that's going to let him have it? Or does it do you go through just an entire range? I mean, what is the sideline mannerisms? Those words we can't hear. Is there a, a different tone that each coach carries as a head coach? Because you've been around a lot of them, too. Absolutely. You know, for me, not, not for me. I, I just am who I am. And so, you know, um, if I don't think something's right, I'm just going to say say it. And and if you know, if I think, you know, like we we got one of our players uh, suspended for uh, targeting, and I said, you know, I can I can see why you guys uh, kicked him out of the game. I, I I can see that. I understand that. But the rule, something's got to happen with the rule because it was a slip, and they went helmet to helmet, and there was no intention to go helmet to happen helmet it just happened it wasn't a vicious hit or anything of that nature so I just said hey I get why you called it but man that doesn't seem like we're going to kick a guy out for that but you know and then of course I was livid you know at the end of the Auburn game and different things you know what I mean it's just I'm pretty much just who I am you know and and stay that way and I don't have to worry about what I say most of the time because I'd say it from the heart yeah, well, it's worked pretty well for you, Coach. I guess before we get into the head coaching transition, you know, a lot of Georgia folks look back and they say, man, how did Kirby put together 
such a great staff in 2016. And I know he likes his staff now, but I go back and look at that 2016 staff. I mean, it's all-stars. I mean, Mel Tucker's a head coach now up there at Michigan State. Shane Beamer, a guy you coached with closely at George, now head coach at South Carolina. You're at Arkansas. What what was the recruiting pitch? I mean, how did Kirby come at you? Because you were pretty pretty comfortable, pretty happy at Arkansas the first time around as well. Well, I always had a always had a uh, thing for Georgia, always uh, since Herschel Walker, and uh, so you know the year before uh, we had played uh, uh, two years before I went to Georgia, we had played Alabama. And after the game, I'd, I'd never met Kirby, but he had come over and he said, you know, I'm going to get me a head coaching job and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it hard for you not to come with me. And uh, I said, well, you better go back and look at the tape. You may not want me after you see see how we played, you know. And he laughed and and uh, sure enough. And I told my wife, I said, you know, I don't want to leave here, but if Kirby, you know, he's played at Georgia. And I said, if anything ever happens at Georgia – and he gets that job, I'm going to definitely look at it if he's serious, you know. And I thought about writing him a note and tell him, you know, that I've enjoyed visiting with him. No, I didn't, you know. Uh, I believe you do the best job you can at wh- where you're at, and then, you know, good things can happen for you if you're if you're doing a good job of where you're coaching. And then uh, I got a call right when he got the job, and, and uh, I said, yeah, absolutely, I'll go over there. And and I'll be honest with you, you know, I never had the opportunities in my coaching to, career to do what we did at Georgia. In other words, I never got to go to the national championship game, never went to the Rose Bowl, never went to the Sugar Bowl. And the fans of Georgia are certainly incredible. And they're not only at home, but it's on the road is where, you know, I'll never forget the Notre Dame game. when we went to Notre Dame and played the year we uh, went to the championship game. And uh, so – uh, that's kind of how that happened. And, and uh, I had uh, some of the four best years of my life there, there at Georgia working under Kirby and, and learned a lot from him. And I'm sure Mel would say the same. I'm sure Shane would say the same. Yes, sir, they have. And, and it is you know fascinating to look back at what happened between 2016 and 2017. And just like I asked Coach Beamer and Coach Tucker, I'll ask you, you know, did you see it coming? And what were the keys for Georgia to transition into that championship caliber team. I mean, we all know how it ended. I mean, it's a it's a fluke deal there at the end. But Georgia was really the best team in college football throughout the season. They won the SEC. There was no backdoor into the playoffs. You went through Baker out there in overtime in California. That's a long flight. Did you see 2017 coming? And what did you think were some of the building blocks and keys to that Georgia national championship drive? the title game at 17. I think it was just consistency of Kirby and his staff and, and the players bought into uh, what he was selling. And uh, he was basically selling hard work and commitment and, and things of that nature. We'd, we'd add a few players in the recruiting that we needed at different positions. I remember we, you know, we had Andrew Thomas up front that came in and started as a freshman that truly helped us that year. And, course we had Nick and Sony who'd elected to come back and then and then Fromm came in and and uh, you know we had an injury there and then Fromm came in and and uh, on offense and defense you know we had Roquan I mean we couldn't block him in practice that sure they couldn't block him with other teams either you know but 
I remember a uh, funny story. I remember uh, after spring ball, I'd get the second year there, and a lot of guys would be going, man, you guys look so much better up front, this, that, and other. Well, Roquan was hurt. He didn't He didn't play in spring. And I said, well, you're going to look a lot better when Roquan Smith isn't out there, you know, and that, and that was the truth. But the guy that really took over the offensive line part was Isaiah Wynn. I mean, he bought into the techniques that we were doing. He was a great leader as good a football player as I've ever coached. And, and you talk about on the field, the guy was uh, uh, incredible. And uh, I give a lot of our success up front uh, directly to him. Talking with Jeff Centel, he covers recruiting for Dog Nation, does the Centel's Intel show on our Wednesday nights. And, you know, Jeff was saying, you know, Mike, I just, you know, what's the secret sauce, right? I mean, uh, you know, he's, Coach Pittman's the realest guy out there. Uh, your authenticity obviously carries through, whether it's, dealing with officials or talking to recruits. But when you go to recruit a young man, uh, you, you don't miss on many. Can, can you share, I guess, some of your expertise and some of your thoughts on recruiting? I know you're doing it there at Arkansas as well now with some special guys you're recruiting. Well, I, think, I think you have to believe in your own product. You, you know, you have to you have to believe in in what what logo you're wearing, and it has to you have you really have to believe in it. And you know, when I was at Georgia, I thought it was the greatest job in America. I mean, I did, and it was an easy sell. And I'd find out uh, what made uh, the young man tick, and I more importantly, I'd find out what his parents were thinking. You know, I think you have to recruit the parents, and and uh, because at some point the kid's gonna make a decision on whether to stay or whether to, you know, I don't know if my commitment, I kind of want to look at somebody else. If you have the parents, they're not going to look anywhere else, you know? So I think you have to get them too, but I just really enjoyed uh, Georgia and recruiting to Georgia. And, and uh, we had a lot to sell there like we do here at Arkansas and, and uh, tried to find out all the uh, information I possibly could about in, any and everybody in that young man's life. And then at the end of the day, I just tried to make it, make my relationship with him so tight that he couldn't tell me no. Yeah. And that's exactly what's happened. And there's still guys that we interview at Georgia that refer back to coach Pittman frequently, a very special relationship that yeah, you build good. with your players coach. So there's no doubt about that. I gotta ask you such a whirlwind at the end of that 2018. I mean, I remember waking up one day and going, I can't believe Sam Pittman's gone. Sam Pittman's the head coach of Arkansas. Yeah. I mean, where were you at on that? Was this like something that, yeah, maybe you might get a feeler here or there? It was like one week you got a call, would you be interested? And a week later, you're the head coach. How fast did it all happen? That was about it. I mean, it was a uh, – I thought it was a courtesy conversation. Uh, and then on Sunday morning uh, after the LSU game um, – I'm sitting in there and there's no way that I'm going to be the head coach at Arkansas. I hadn't heard from him. And my wife calls me at 10 o'clock in the morning crying. And it's one of those calls you and I don't want to get, you know what I mean? What's happened? Someone's passed, you know, she couldn't talk. And I say, Hey, Jamie, whatever it is, we can handle it. Just tell me what it is and we'll get through it. And she said, oh, Arkansas just called. I think they're going to hire you. You know, and I go, huh? And uh, so I went and visited with Kirby about it. And then uh, about an hour later, they called back, said they was going to fly out and come get me. And uh, we visited in there for an hour and a half. The problem with that is it happened so fast, I didn't get an opportunity uh, to uh, personally say goodbye to the players. You know, there was a gala that night and, 
and uh, I wasn't able to make it because I was interviewing and flying to Arkansas as a new head coach. Uh, those things, you know, at times you regret because you, you, you don't have an opportunity. There was no opportunity to sit in front of my players because a lot of them came to Georgia, not because of me, but partly because of me. And I wanted to make sure that they understood why I was taking the job at Arkansas. Though, you know, kids are smarter than you ever think they are. They knew why I took it. I mean, they, I wanted to be a head coach financially. It was a lot more money. You know what I mean? They, they understood it. So I text the whole group as a, as a group and just, you know, told them what I thought of them and those things. And, uh, they already knew that too, by the way. The, the handoff, and this is this is kind of an unusual question, but I know at some point in time you've crossed paths with Matt Luke. Is there a part of you that would breathe a sigh of relief saying, you know what, I'm glad Matt's going to be working with those guys that I recruited. I mean, obviously uh, you, you recruit against Matt and you coached against him, but did you feel good about that for the players that you recruited? That oh, yeah. To get a veteran like that. Yeah, what a super nice guy, really good football coach. I mean – Oh yeah, I mean, I, I knew that they were, they were in good hands and those things, but it goes back to Kirby. I mean, you know, Kirby's going to go out and find. He's at Georgia. I mean, he's going to go out and find whoever he wants, basically. And and uh, I knew he was going to do it. I didn't know he was going to do it quite as fast as he did. Uh, he did it, I think, in part. You know, we had four or five guys committed, and uh, I think he wanted to make sure they stay committed. And and uh, I was able to call and talk to a few of them, say, hey, let's don't. I remember talking to Tate Ratledge and say, hey, let's don't let's don't think about another school. You you've committed to Georgia. You didn't commit to me. And uh, let's hold on and and uh, coach will get you a good guy in there. And he did. And and uh, he he decided to stay on there. But uh, Georgia was a good place for all those kids, and they needed to stay there. And I told Kirby I wouldn't try to, you know, take any of them to Arkansas because that, that's not the right thing to do. Yeah, that's first-class coach. I know it doesn't always work that way, believe me. I know that firsthand. I've been around a lot of other situations where part of the deal was, hey, don't go to class. We might want to bring you with you yeah. somewhere else. You know, looking at you, watching you all these years, football coach, right? Sometimes that pure football coach never gets that head job opportunity. I'm going to throw out a name, a guy that's very high on you, John Chavis, who coached at Arkansas before you. And when I asked him, he said, let me tell you, they did one whale of a job, Mike. Those kids, he's proud of his kids just like you are, the Georgia kids. But I look at John Chavis as the pure football coach, never really got to ring that bell. Here you are, the pure football coach. And when I say that, some people may not know what I'm talking about, but a lot of times schools go for the guy they put on a billboard and, you know, he's, you know, bright strapping, you know, high 30s, you know, all that. You know, had to get Arkansas two billboards would... to put me on there. <laughs> well, you know what I'm saying, though. You know, they, they want the guy – but you got never been a coordinator, yeah. never been a head coach, and all you do is come in the league and show everyone. And I just wonder, is there a degree of one satisfaction out of saying, see, I told you all I could do it. And two, do you realize how many doors that you've opened? Because I think Shane Beamer benefited from this because Shane yeah. had never been a coordinator. Yeah. You know, um, you have to give Hunter Yurichek credit for – doing it, you know, I mean, our athletic director, you know, saying it can be done, you know, coaches, if you don't make enemies in the business and everybody makes some, but I hadn't made many. And so I, you know, I'd been around a lot of different schools. I knew a lot of people. So when I sat in front of Hunter Urechek, 
I could I could put it I could put a good staff together, a real good staff together. And, uh, you know, when I was able to uh, get Barry Odom, that helped me because he had been a former head coach and I could lean on him for some things. And I didn't have an ego that that go, no, 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 I know everything. Well, how can you know everything? You had never been a head coach. So you need somebody around you to kind of help you. But uh, part of it, part of the uh, you asked, is it is it satisfying? Um to help other guys, maybe in my my position, like Chavis, and uh, uh, he's he's certainly not going to do it now. But I, I get what you're talking about. Yeah, you know, because um, but I'm I'm not the guy. I'm not. Hey, I'm going to do this for everybody. I'm I'm going to do it for the University of Arkansas. Right. But yes, um, uh, I think you know. Hopefully, it helped with an opportunity with Shane to get his get his opportunity and things of that nature. I, I do believe that I'm a perfect fit for Arkansas because I, you know, Arkansas doesn't care really how I talk. You know, I'm a, I've got a draw and a, they don't care really how I look. They just want me to love Arkansas. They want me to make the football team better and, and, and work hard. And that's kind of a blue collar, how the state is. And uh, I was a really good, I feel like I was the perfect fit for what Arkansas was looking for. And I have a, strong, strong passion for the university. So I, I think you can get all those things, but if the person doesn't have a strong, strong passion for where he's coaching and not that, well, what's my next job? If we do well, maybe I can get this. That's not how I feel. This is this is the greatest job, and no disrespect to Georgia. This is the greatest job for me uh, in America, and I truly feel that way. And and uh, so I think I think there has a lot to do with that as well. Yeah, teams definitely take on the personality of the head coach and right. played with that passion. And uh, you know there there was there was some shades of some great Arkansas football uh, at times. I know there was a, a couple key injuries and things, but man. Uh, that Arkansas team that I show up, saw show up against Georgia and beat Ole Miss. I mean, at the time, we were all – I mean, all buddy in the SEC is ready to crown Lane Kiffin King. He had the most unstoppable offense in history. And Arkansas just went out there and put it on. I'm going, what is this – what is going – you know, and it was just pure Razorback passion. I guess I'd ask you, Coach, you know, you, you kind of built the hopes up now. You know about expectations. This could be dangerous. I mean, there's some people looking at Arkansas now going, wait a minute. Sam's going to make these guys a contender in the West. What's got to happen for Arkansas uh, from 2020 to 2021 for you to take that next step? Well, we, the first thing we had to have several guys come back, and they did. Obviously, Felipe Franks did not. John Marshall did not. Our very talented nose guard. But we had 10 seniors come back. Uh, we, have, we have 20 starters coming back. Uh, from last year's squad. So that, you know, that's going to help us, um, it, you know, continuing to recruit a little bit better. You know, a lot of times when people say, oh, we need to get a better player, that that might be true, but we don't need better people. We got great people in our program. We just need to get a little bit bigger, a little bit faster with the ones we have and recruit a, a little bit uh, better athlete. Again, player-wise, we couldn't we couldn't get better kids. And I love this team, and they work their butt off and things of that nature. But I I think the expectations are where they're supposed to be. You know, when I said when I got the job, we're in the SEC West, exactly where we're supposed to be, and I believe that. And 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 I, you know, it's going to take a little bit, I, I'm sure, but uh, we're heading in the right direction, I believe. No doubt about it, Coach. I can't tell you how much I've appreciated your success, and I know the Arkansas fans love you. And, 
you know, to me, it, it was the best hire of the offseason. I think there's a lot of new life and energy in Arkansas, not to say anything about the previous code, but like you said, sometimes it's just a great fit and you see it come together. I guess my last question is just recruiting. You know, I've kind of always thought in the back of my mind, man, that Texas A&M coming in the SEC, Arkansas used to get a lot of those guys. And people point to Arkansas and say they don't produce the same number of players as a Florida or a Georgia or a Texas. How do you take on that challenge at Arkansas to recruit effectively? Well, I don't look, I don't look as, uh, you know, I'm from Grove, Oklahoma. That's 75 miles from here. Well, the last name of that state is Oklahoma. Well, Tulsa's an hour and a half from here. And East Texas is not about that, you know. So you look at all those places, you just have to, you have to figure that out that they're just home. That's where, that's home. Texas, Arkansas, Missouri, it's it's close enough to be home because if you look, we're in the northwest corner and you go to the southeast corner, it's five hours, you know. Well, Oklahoma's closer than that. Texas, you get what I'm saying. So we're a bordering state, and obviously uh, we don't have near the Division One athletes in our state that, that Georgia does or Florida or some of those other. But we're trying to keep the ones that we do have, and then we're trying to make – uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, you know, down to East Texas and things of that. We're trying to make our bordering states uh, a piece of Arkansas and trying to keep them home. And not to mention a transfer now and then. Frank's looked pretty good in Arkansas. He did well, all right up there. He helped us. We needed him, and and he helped. I was really proud of him. He, he helped us tremendously. That was great. Coach, thank you so much for your time. I wish you the best of luck this spring and into next season. We'll be – We'll be seeing you again pretty soon. I mean, you're lining yeah. up across. Was that kind of weird? Kind of weird lining up across from them guys? Well, it's my first game, you know, and there was no Georgia anywhere on the on the, on the the schedule until, of course, the COVID thing hit, and I'm going, oh, good Lord. we got to play Georgia the first game, you know. And uh, and then, of course, we have to play them again this year. I had, you know, no idea we'd play them two years in a row when we came over here. But much respect for their program, Kirby, and honestly, the state of Georgia, the Georgia, uh, the coaches and the fans are incredible. And I'd say this, since I've been at Arkansas, the fans of Georgia have been very, very respectful to me. And uh, I sure do appreciate that. A lot of dog fans are also hog fans on Saturday. <laughs> now, Coach Pittman, thanks again for your time. Good luck to you, sir. Have a good day.